we have a, the, the passage today is lengthy, uh, and we're only reading part of it. Uh, it, it. It's a glorious chapter. I encourage you to go back when you get home today. If you've got a few minutes between football games or whatever else you're doing, pick up your Bible and read through it, because it is, it is the turning point in the story, the life and times of Joseph. But it's also the turning point in the life of times of his family and the life and times of Egypt in, the, in, in, the, in their current, in the state of being that point in time. So it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal chapter. And it's the chapter, it's the part of the chapter that we remember when we're, um, when we're remembering the story because we, we think, okay, Joseph's brothers were mean and they sold him and he got in trouble with Potiphar's wife and then, then he went to prison and he interpreted some dreams and then Pharaoh asked for him and he interprets dreams and then everything's good. But 13 years had passed. We know that because they say that when he was put in charge in everything in Egypt that he was 30 years old. And when he was 17, his brother sold him out. He's 30 years old. And then we even hear of about another seven years that takes place, six or seven years, right here in this chapter. So there's a lot going on. But I want to, I want to give you a couple of things. I'm going to offer a prayer in a second. But I'm going to give you a couple of things to be thinking about. One, um, dreams, we hear that. And some people are really into dreams and dream interpretation, and that kind of thing. But most of us, it's like, man, I had a weird dream. And that's kind of how it goes. Um, back then, though, the way many of us see Scripture it's authoritative. It lets us know what God's will is, and it lets us know what God plans to do in the future. That is how the Egyptians, and even some people in, in some of the Hebrews, that is how they viewed dreams. Now, Pharaoh, any Pharaoh, but this particular one, is kind of seen as the God of the Egyptian people. Their worldview is that chaos is everywhere, and the closer you get to Pharaoh, there's more order. So the more power that Pharaoh has, it means that there's more order brought into the chaotic world. That's how they see the world. That's how they see Pharaoh. And they even say that Pharaoh is one of the gods. But Pharaoh himself worships a whole bunch of other demonic pagan gods. But the way they believe that the gods communicate to the leaders and the rulers are through dreams. In fact, they, they, they think it's so important that every dream any pharaoh has ever had and the interpretation is recorded. They have whole libraries of that, you know, on tablets and cuneiform and all the little, you know, hieroglyphics and all that kind of stuff. But they have whole libraries of hundreds and thousands of years of dreams interpreted, not only for the rulers, but anyone of any status, any dream that's been, and then they have appointed people, they call them magi or magicians, the same kind of magi or magicians that, that came to, to, to see Jesus when he was a child. They came from this, they didn't come from Egypt, they came from Babylon, but it's just that same kind of cultural idea. Their whole job, they're set aside to study stars, to study potions, and to study dreams. That's what they do. So when you hear that, that Pharaoh had these dreams, and you hear this, and then he repeats those dreams a couple of times, a rather repetitive passage, it's repetitive to let us know how important it is. And that even though Pharaoh doesn't worship the God that we do, God used their, their way of seeing how they're connected with the gods to communicate to Pharaoh and to elevate Joseph. So just keep that in mind. The other thing I'd ask you to keep in mind, because this is the part of the story when we go, oh, where everything's better. Joseph for 13 years. So let's just say, I don't know how it was divided up. Six and a half as a slave, six and a half 
in prison. We have two instances in all of that time where it seems like God used Joseph. There is no evidence whatsoever otherwise that God consulted with Joseph to tell Joseph, hey, it's going to get really ugly for a while, but take heart, I'm with you. We have no evidence of that. We hear some things about Joseph that, that he said when Potiphar, he gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife, he goes, he goes oh, I'm not going to sin against God because I don't want to make God who let me get sold into sin, I don't want to make him any more mad. And, and there, you know, there, there's a few times when, when only God can interpret dreams, but these are things he's giving. He's saying, I'm not going to sin against God, and only God can interpret dreams, but there's no sense that, that Joseph's like, oh, God's got this. In fact, we find out later in this chapter that indeed Joseph's, our interpretation that we've been kind of preaching to you is Joseph's interpretation of those 13 years. So to give you some sense of what 13 years is, uh, divided in half, so six, six and a half, in two weeks, six years ago, was the first time I stood in front of you to preach. I was here as a candidate. Now, you think of all the things in this church that has happened in the last six years, and you add another half year to that, that's half the time that Joseph has had no answers, no hope, and frustration and suffering. So it's easy to read it and go, ah, it's all better. But not if you're Joseph, because he lived 13 years like this. Join me in prayer. We'll read the passage. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are, for what you do, not just for us, but in us and through us. Lord, whatever it is that you want to say today, that's what I want to be the mouthpiece for. So if there's something I plan to say you don't want to say it, I don't want to say it. But Lord, if there's something that I haven't thought of in prayer and study that you want said, make, make it clear to me that it's of you and I will speak your word to your people. Lord, this isn't my message for them. It's your message for us. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and soften hearts to receive whatever it is you want to send out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When two full years had passed, remember last year, um, uh, last week, Pastor Nate was here and, and you know, the cupbearer and the, and the baker and he interpreted their dreams and he says to the cupbearer who got the good dream, didn't go so well for the other one. Um, he said, remember me. When you get to Pharaoh, remember me. Remember me. Tell him that I'm, I'm not that bad of a guy. And two years before he remembers anything. So two, two years after that. So when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, ugly and gaunt came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. God's communicating with him. The gods are communicating with him in his mind. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then, two years, then the cupbearer, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream 
The same night in each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And he told, we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. Other scripture, other scripture uh, versions will say he was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought up, uh, brought, up uh, brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now, I just want you to picture this for a second. Do you think when someone's imprisoned for, let's just say, six and a half years, you think his personal hygiene was up to snuff? And I know that they didn't really take baths very, I mean, a couple times a year kind of thing, but there was a lot of oil they put on their bodies, a kind of a perfume, and kind of intense and musky all at the same time. So here's Joseph. He gets called up. Finally, something's going to change in his life. He doesn't know at this point. It, it might be that it's time for him to die. It might mean that it's time for him to go back and serve the captain of the guard. He doesn't know. But they, they get him shaved. And by the way, they didn't have five-blade Schick or Gillette razors. Flintstones kind of thing. So he gets cleaned up. They put on some new clothes. And uh, he goes up. I, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph, again, giving credit to God, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, it sounds a little bit, it gets a little tricky in Hebrew here. It sounds a little bit like he's saying that, that God's going to, God will give to Pharaoh whatever he wants. But in reality, what, what he's saying, and some interpreters will say that's true, that that's what he's doing, but that it'll be a favorable outcome. But really, it's kind of like saying, you're asking for an answer, that's your desire, God will answer you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek. And they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and, and, and very ugly and lean. And I had, uh, I had never seen such ugly cows in, the land of Egypt, in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> the lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I saw seven, saw seven heads of grain, full, full and good, growing out of a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told, uh, I told this to my magicians, and none could explain it. Now, I know it's repetitive. Old Testament literature, though, when something is repeated, it's to tell us, listen. It's kind of like if you're watching the news and they say, news alert. It's almost like they want to keep you watching because everything's an alert. But it, it's, it's to draw your attention so that you listen. We've now heard about these dreams, these two dreams, each twice. Why? What's God saying to Pharaoh. Now, if you know the story, you know what's coming. But I want you to just watch that Pharaoh, it says that he woke up, he was very troubled, and he sent for all of his magicians. No one could do anything. He finally gets Joseph. So this is the watershed point in the story of Joseph. It's the watershed point in the, in the life of Pharaoh, and it's the watershed point in the known world up to this point at this time. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, 
The dream of Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what, is about, what he is about to do. Seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that come up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the, dreams, the, the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now, Joseph, I don't know if he's a politician. I don't know if he gets whispered to by God when he's interpreting these like, Joseph, I want you to provide a solution. I want you to tell, I want you to advise Pharaoh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Joseph is like, this is my one shot. I've been 13, 13 years. I've been kind of locked up and don't have a will of my own. So I'm going to just, I'm going to, hey, it's a Hail Mary. I'm going to throw it out there. And maybe he'll bite it, and for at least a little while, I can, I can be out of jail, and I can figure out a way to escape. I don't know. Or if God's saying, here's the interpretation, and now advise the Pharaoh. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, Joseph, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They could collect, they should collect all the food of these years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country, uh, for the country to be used during the seven years of famine, um, excuse me, that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Now, just for a second here. This is why I think that Joseph has some wisdom and maybe he's been conniving and God, maybe he blessed this little thought. But if you're in charge of something and you hear from God that something's going to go good and then it's going to go really bad and you're thinking, okay, people might rebel if it gets that ugly. But when someone comes and offers to you, you're going to profit when things are good and then you're going to profit when things are bad. He just recommended a 20% tax on all the grain of Egypt for the next six, seven years get 20% of everything, store it up. And then when it's ugly and people have to come and need grain for food, you charge them for it. That's, that's pretty good economic policy if you're, if you're the Pharaoh. Now, I don't know how the people felt, but if it's such great abundance, giving a double tithe, 20%, might not, oh, I got all this. I mean, yeah, sure, just take it. I don't know. But I do know this. Joseph has wisdom and so does Pharaoh. So it says here, the plan seemed good, no kidding. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, there is something that will just, it, it, it'll just fly right by you here. But it happened one other time when speaking about Joseph. But something happens here that the author of the book of Genesis wants us to see. 
There, when it says, one in whom is the Spirit of God, right? Um, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. We, we don't hear about that much in Genesis. We hear about it twice in Joseph's life, but the only other time we hear about it is in verse number one or two. But it says that the Spirit of God hovered, the Ruach of God hovered over the chaos. Now remember, the, 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 the worldview of the Egyptians, chaos. And the power of Pharaoh brings order. The author of Genesis, historically it's Moses, he, he wants us to see God is at work here. The, this is the Ruach, one in whom the Ruach of God dwells. God is doing something. God is speaking even as if, even in the world of pagan gods, God is doing something here. Now just briefly to summarize what happens in the rest of the chapter, and we'll read two more verses here in a second, but... but Joseph is placed in charge of everything, everything. In fact, Pharaoh takes off his ring that has that little signet, the little thing on it. So when you put, you know, like a wax seal and you put that on, that means it, this, is, this is the word of the Pharaoh. This is, this is an edict. He gives that ring to Joseph. And when Joseph is traveling with Pharaoh, he rides in Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's chariot. And when he's off on his own, he rides in Pharaoh's chariot. So everywhere he goes, it's as if he speaks the very word of Pharaoh. He is the word of Pharaoh. And so he goes all over the country into all the different towns and they, and they start building these big storehouses. They're not storehouses. We think barns and silos. They dig huge, huge, huge deep holes, usually rectangular, 30 to 50. They found some of these archaeologists, 30 to 50 feet deep and just football fields wide that they put all this grain in for seven years. He goes all around Egypt planting all this and harvesting all that grain or taking the tax and putting it in there storing it up. He spent seven years doing nothing but this. And his wisdom, his character, and his authority now are the primary character, wisdom, and authority in Egypt. And in the midst of all this, he's, he's been made into a full Egyptian. That doesn't mean that he doesn't come from Jacob. He doesn't mean that he doesn't still have his brothers. Doesn't mean that he's no longer Hebrew but he's given an Egyptian name. He's given an Egyptian wife and he's blessed with two Egyptian sons. It looks like everything's turning around for Joseph. So it's easy to go, oh, huh, what, what they intended for evil, God intended for good. But that misses what the author wants us to see. It misses what Joseph's experience was. Listen to what Joseph named his children. You know in the Old Testament, names mean the character or names tell us something about God or something about the Father. Before, and I, I'm terrible with these names in here. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph and Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And said, so he named his kid. Every time he says his name of his kid, it reminds him of this. It is because God has made me forget all my troubles in all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph didn't spend 13 years going, ah, I guess God's got this. Let go, let God. Joseph spent 13 years 
Maybe nursing the wounds of betrayal from his brothers. Maybe planning revenge. I don't know. And God gave him a couple of little windows. One where, where he, he, he got to be faithful and say, no, I'm not going to sin against my God with Potiphar's wife. But he got thrown into prison. He didn't get killed. He got thrown into prison. And then years later, these two guys, these cupbearer and this, and this baker come and he interprets some dreams. And it's his chance. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Forgets for two more years. Then God gives Pharaoh some dreams and God wants to do something here. And so he appoints Joseph. Now at this point, Joseph might be going. He might say, all of it was worth it because of now. But that's not what he says. He says, God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So let me ask you this. When you're in it, and every one of you has been in it, do you expect that God should consult with you and tell you why? Because there's no evidence that God consulted with Joseph. He gave him a dream. And I don't know if, about you, but if I were Joseph, I'd go, why didn't I keep my mouth shut? His brothers hated him. They were going to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He was a slave. He helps out in a household. He's a chambermaid. <laughs> he gets in trouble. He goes to prison. Everything's bad for Joseph. Everything. But there's no evidence that God ever consulted with Joseph and said, Joseph, let me interpret your dream that you had. Joseph, just trust me, I got this. No evidence of that. In fact, we find out that Joseph finally can forget what happened. 13 years. Actually, when those children are born, it's probably 16 or 17 years down the line. So when you're in it, don't you want God to tell you why? Don't you want him to say this for a time and then this, and it's for my greater purpose, and here's the purpose. And sometimes he does, very seldom. Most of the time he doesn't. So if you're in it, betrayal, abandonment, if you can't get past, look, it took me 30 years. If you can't get past the fact that your mom or your dad left or that someone abused you, God forbid, or that someone harmed you or someone accused you of something, if you're still in it and it's still there and you're just, God, if you could just tell me why, if it had some meaning, then, then okay. That which we want from God, it often seems as if he doesn't give it. But Pastor Nate said last week, he quoted Tim Keller, and he said that God always answers the prayers the exact way we would want them if we knew what God knows. God had something much bigger in mind with the life and the times of Joseph. And honestly, it had nothing to do with Joseph. God does not owe Joseph an explanation. Joseph either chooses to trust God or to abandon God. And somehow, some way, he chose to trust. Now, we, there's a lot of stuff going on in our culture. And I kind of joke about it up here on occasion when I, you know, this is the most important midterm of our, midterm election of, of, of our lifetime. I've heard that every year since I was 18 years old. And maybe before that, I just didn't pay any attention. My first president that I remember is Nixon. And I was sitting in Gordy Boozer's house at his birthday party when he resigned the presidency. That's my first this, uh, memory of anything political. 
And I don't, I'm not asking, I'm not trying to make a statement on what side or the other that you should be on in this whole little thing. But I think, I think, I think this one is an important one. Instead of joking about, I mean, I, there's a watershed point in our culture. And it looks like one side's going to win and the other side's going to be destroyed, whatever it is. That there's going to be an enemy who has power over others or vice versa. Why did the people that were the focus of the stuff in the last three weeks, why did God allow either of those things to happen to either of those people? I have no idea. But God doesn't owe it to us to tell us why. But I want you to know one thing. Just like in your life, in our church, in our community, in our state, in our nation, God is not afraid of our junk. He's not afraid of our politics. He's not afraid of me. And he's not afraid of you. God's not worried. He's doing something. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't owe it to me to tell me. But he knows what it is. This is one of those times, Joseph's life, the life of Pharaoh, and in our lives right now, it's one of those even though God moments. My wife, every now and then, when we wake up in the morning, I'll, if we wake up at the same time, she's an early bird, I'm a late, I'm a night owl, but every now and then we wake up at the same time and I'll look at her and say, ha, you're married to me, you're stuck. You're a godly woman and I heard your vows. And, and, she'll, and she'll say something like, yep, I love you even though. Even though? I'm not sure I like that. Or sometimes she, she's just a student of the scriptures and she'll, she'll, she'll have this new revelation and she'll, she'll come to me and she wants to share it with me. And the pastors here and the other staff know that how I think theologically is if I have a new idea, I got to beat it up and pick it apart. Because if it's new, you know, I, I'm not smart enough to come up with something no one ever has ever come up with. So I'll, I'll beat it up and see if it stands up to testing. If it stands up to testing, then there might be something there. But Lynn will share with this new revelation with me. And, and I, what she's doing is, hey, look at this puppy, pet it. And what I do is I start going. And when she realizes that I'm doing that, and, and she'll say, I love you even though. And I'm not very easy to love. I mean, I, I get grumpy I, I pick apart things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lazy a lot of the time. And, and she's just, and she's really social. And I, I'm social here, but when I go home, I don't even knock on my door today. Um, so we're just different. And she, she has to love me even though I'm flawed, even though I, I'm not as social, even though I have my quirks, even though the toilet paper goes the wrong way instead of over or under, you know, even though all of those things. She chooses to love me even though, and God loves you even though you sin, even though you don't always trust him, even though life seems to be falling apart, even when you are in absolute angst, God loves you. And God intends what's best for you, even when you can't feel it, even though he doesn't tell you why, even if you shake your fist, he holds you close. As he did Joseph, Joseph had no idea, but God was going to save the known world through one man. I don't know what he's going to do in your life. I don't know what he's going to do in this midterm election. I have no idea, but I do know this. Not only is he not afraid of it, he's working in it. He stands outside of time. 
So he saw Joseph's dream at 17, his imprisonment, and what's going to happen in Egypt, all as if it's happening right now. God sees past, present, and future as if it's present. So God sees the end, what's happening in your life. He knows how it's going to work. It's in all things, God works together for the good for those who trust in Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. But you don't. You don't know. But you can know one thing. He hears your cries, he collects your tears, and he will not waste your pain. Not as a person, not as a church, not as a family, not as a state, not as a nation, not as a world. God will not waste one tear. He will not waste one bit of pain. And he, even though you don't see it, God is still sovereign. So let us be a people who trusts God even though it doesn't look like he's trustworthy, even when it looks like the whole world's going to fall apart because the one who promised is faithful. He showed it, but it took him 13 years. And when this whole thing works itself out, it's closer to 24. God is trustworthy even though and even when. And he loves you, even though and even when. Let's pray. Lord, we're about to receive a means by which you give us grace. And it can remind us of a lot of things. And we'll hear from pastors Kurt and Chris about the meaning that you established. But I'm reminded that it's a way, it's provision. It's a way you give us what we do not deserve even when things are good and even when things are bad. Just like you did with Joseph. You were there and you provided for him even when it felt to him like you weren't and didn't care. But you did. But you cared about more than just him. You cared about the world. And you showed us that in your son that you didn't care just about you or your chosen people but you cared about all of us. And you sent one man to save the world, who's your son. So Lord, as we take, eat, drink, remember, and believe, remind us of your provision, even though and even when. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now often, we talk about what it means to bless, because that's not, a, we use, you know, hashtag bless, all that kind of stuff. It means to say good things about, but today we're going to talk just briefly about the second word in there, the Lord bless you and keep you. This message today, communion today, it's all about the keeping. When kids are struggling and mom holds them or dad encourages them, puts his arms around them, it doesn't always make everything better, but it does show that someone bigger than them greater than them, older than them, loves them. So when we ask the Lord, when we declare that the Lord keep you, it's even though, even when, no matter how hard, no matter what has happened, we're asking God to put his arms around us and keep us in the midst of all of it. So the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.